0: Warning. The following broadcast is not intended to be a substitute for legal advice or firearm safety, competence, or proficiency training. This broadcast is solely for entertainment, discussion, and informational purposes. Side effects may include a sudden undeniable urge to exercise your Second Amendment rights, and you may in fact turn into a gun nut. You've been warned. Welcome back to Locked, Loaded, and Legal. I'm your host, Mike Jeremita, attorney with Jeremita Law Offices. With your host, firearms instructor, Jose Morales. I'm looking forward to today's discussion. We're going to be talking about demystifying firearms myths
1: and legal legends. And there sure are a lot of them out there, aren't there, Jose? There are a ton of them out there. I hear them all the time. They drive me crazy. And I'm glad that we're able to educate our listeners because, again, you know, it's 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 incredible the misinformation that's out there. It's all over
0: the place. And because because there's so much that we've got to cover, I really just want to jump right into it, if that's okay with you. Please. I've got a lot of questions about myths I've heard on the street about practical applications and using firearms for protection, so I want to just uh, get some of them out of the way, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have the same questions, so I want to start out by asking you about the Caliber Wars. You know, you'll talk to people, everybody's got an opinion on this, it seems like. Uh, you know, I carry a 45 because they don't make a 46, Uh
1: Or all <laughs> Guns should be nines, as somebody said. Well, what do you think, Jose? You know, it's, uh, again, I want to start with a, a quasi-disclaimer, and these, uh, these opinions are mine and mine alone. They're gleaned through years of experience, through some critical thought, through— um, being in contact with some of the best instructors I've been blessed in having and uh, who taught me to actually think critically and answer my own questions and use a little logic and common sense. So, again, very subjective. Uh, um, it's not going to be end-all be-all, but I'll answer as best as I can. Um, well, in terms of the caliber where you're always going to have people that say, you know what, uh, uh, you need to fire a, a man's round. It's got to be a four to five because they don't make the four to six or, you know, only uh, name some, you know, some some term here. Only only girls carry 22s. Right. Mm. Or something like that. Something disparaging like that. Um, I'd be the first person to say that the gun caliber that you can shoot accurately in and that you can control. That you can place shots on target um, with accuracy is the best caliber for you. Now there are always going to be calibers that are more effective than others in terms of ballistics and wound channels and all that stuff. Um, I just tell people again, what are the major calibers that we're going to be that are available out there and are accepted right now? The current ones are nine millimeter, forty Smith and Wesson, forty-five on the. A semi-automatic side. On the revolver side, it's 38 Special and 357 Magnum. Now that's not to say that there are other calibers out there. There are. These are the ones that are accepted and popular today. Uh, and so these are the ones that should be a guideline for use. Some people will may pull out, I see students sometimes pull out their granddad's 25 hmm. uh, or their uncle's 32 um, or a 10 millimeter. Because, you know, they don't make 9mm. Mil- well, no, they do make 9mm. you can't use the same one, right? 10mm. <laughs> they don't make 11. <laughs> <laughs> they don't make 11, right? Uh, it's really about what is popular out there, what is um, proven and effective. I'm a big fan of history um, and learning from history. So when in doubt, what do police departments issue? They issue 9mm, they issue 40s, they issue 45s. A lot of research has gone into that. Um, selection of those calibers and that ammunition so again to answer your question it is whatever caliber you can shoot accurately um, and you can and you can handle uh, the recoil of again and we're gonna go into recoil and some other (laughs) and some other uh, that's another urban legend that you know recoil's got too much kick but Mm -hmm. we're not gonna go there again whatever you can shoot accurately is best for you and the gun that you're gonna carry is going to be the best one for you. You know that you've heard the the term. You know the the saying, the twenty two that I carry is better than the forty five I leave at home. You know, mm. and you're always going to have people that they're going to criticize. You're going to say, well, why are you carrying a twenty two? You know, only only little girls carry a twenty two. Well, sometimes I'll carry a twenty two magnum in a pocket holster when I'm going to go and get a gallon of milk because I'm going to carry something, and so I mean I want to strap on a forty five mm. or you know or a nine millimeter. So. What I tell people is, do you mind if I shoot you in the face with that twenty two Magnum? They go, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But well, then shut up and let me carry what I feel comfortable carrying. And it's better to have an option other than harsh language to protect yourself. So that's that's the long, drawn-out answer to that Certainly question. Certainly nobody's volunteering to be shot with those those calibers. Oh, no, they'll be like, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. you know. And what makes me laugh is that husbands that you know say to their wives, hey, hon, this is the gun you need, okay? Mm-hmm. You need a little .380 because you're a girl, right? Mm-hmm. And then you ask them, well, would you carry? are 380 you go nah no nah, I'm gonna get well why would you give your spouse sure. something you wouldn't carry yourself you know Sure. And we actually had a case where
0: we defended a guy who had to use a 25 to protect himself in a serious situation and it actually did the trick the guy who was shot, shot with 25
1: <laughs> shot placement is always gonna be the determining factor shot placement as opposed to caliber size you know and but again Um, It's not about this show is not about ballistics, but and again, we're all going to have some fanboys out there saying, you know, I carry a 25. There's nothing wrong with a 25. But again, it's I'm talking about accepted calibers. The FBI has done have done research and and have kept statistics on efficacy of wounds and defensive ammunition. The records are there. So go and see what's worked in real life situations in police officer shootings and such.
0: Hmm. Now, along those lines, I want to talk a little bit about
1: this argument you hear all the time about semi-auto versus revolver. Help us out with that. Semi-auto versus revolver. Yeah, you hear this all the time, and, and it usually happens in the scenario of usually the husband saying, "Here, hon, your girl. Oh, you need a revolver because you know hmm. because women are incapable of operating heavy complex machinery, right? And so hmm. it's drives me bananas. I tell my students, you know handguns are tools it really is all about what kind of tool is best for that particular job now i'm a big revolver guy i love revolvers i carry revolvers on a regular basis but that doesn't mean that every scenario is you know the best scenario for a revolver Um, again they're all tools one of the things that i really love about revolvers is that they're great for close quarters defensive encounters and they're really really good Um, At being able to be shot at close proximities from pockets from purses So I tell my students, you know, the likelihood that a woman Is going to be held down and pinned down by a single or multiple attackers is greater than a man women are generally assaulted at closer proximities and studies have shown that women are usually held down and assaulted at greater rates than men so I want to The women in my life, if they were to choose one firearm, to have a firearm that they can shoot shoot from a purse holster, from a pocket holster, that doesn't require to uh, slide to slide back and forth in order for them to get this 300-pound animal off of them. And, you know, because again, uh, you want the right tool for the job. So there's scenarios in which I suggest people get revolvers, especially if they're in the city, they're going to be shooting close quarters, they're in a situation where they may be um, more prone to carrying that revolver in a pocket holster. Again, um, access to the gun is really the key and they're all real, they're they're tools. It depends on what kind of, um, you know, what's the best tool for a particular situation. So it depends on the individual
0: or the circumstance because I think or revolvers can be
1: great for concealability as well wouldn't you agree Well oh, absolutely absolutely again you know a, a nice 38 special air weight in an ankle holster in a pocket holster as a backup there's scenarios where you may not be able to strap around that XD you know you want to but hey you, you don't have the luxury to do that Sure. Another one I hear is the best gun for home defense. I hear a lot of guys say oh, it's got to be a shotgun because of the spread. What do you think about that, Jose? Oh my goodness! Yeah, I hear this all the time too, and it's it's one of these things where I had really concrete ideas on what was the best gun for um, you know for particular scenarios, and I tell people you know we always hear you know and the adamant shotgun crowd, right? I need my shotgun because you know you don't got to aim a shotgun. <laughs> Um, I really used to think that shotguns were the end-all, be-all until I actually took a uh, running gun shotgun class. I took a course that required me to, a tactical course, um, that required me to rapid-fire and reload all day a shotgun. Mm. Um, And uh, I have a Remington 870, great gun. But the thing is a heavy, heavy, heavy gun. And one of the things I walked away with from that course um, was the realization that it is an expert's tool. Okay, you need to train with a shotgun because with a shotgun, if you're not shooting, you're loading. If you're not loading, you're shooting and you're constantly moving. Um, And again, we talked about in the previous episode, under stress, we never rise to the occasion. Well, you know, unless you train with that shotgun, you're going to probably um, mess the process up of loading and and unloading and jamming that gun when you Mm -hmm. need to manipulate it because you may not have the luxury to train. Um, regularly with that shotgun. So one day I started thinking to myself, I said, you know what, let's say there are three there are three zombies knocking down my door. Right, one has a Remington 870. one has any handgun—Glock uh, 17, Smith Wesson, whatever. and Wesson, whatever—and one person has an AR-15. One zombie has an AR-15 with two 30-round magazines. Who am I most afraid of? Uh, that's the gun I want. So I'm a I'm a big fan of the rifle as a personal and home defense tool. Militaries use rifles. They issue rifles because they're better at causing casualties than handguns, you know. The old myth is that all you're saying is that, you know, you use your handgun to get to your rifle. So I'm a big fan of uh, of rifles as as home defense guns. They're accurate. They're reliable. They have high capacity they have adjustable stocks so the shortest member of our home can use it the largest member of our home can use it and they're good at doing what they do you know at stopping zombies so that's you know again my personal opinion based on my needs and based on my defensive plans that I've analyzed and everybody's a little bit different so
0: sure one thing i think you want to take into account Under those circumstances, is the lawyer and me coming out, but you want to be careful about over-penetration, the type of ammunition you're using, and your surroundings,
1: don't you think, Jose? Well, absolutely, but the thing is this, right? Double-odd buck penetrates. We want a certain amount of penetration, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Birdshot, buckshot, everything penetrates. So, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to hire a really good lawyer like you, Mike, right? (laughs) And I'm going to familiarize myself with the rules and use of deadly force. I'm going to have a plan um, to defend my home. I'm going to have fatal funnels marked and I'm going to have a defensive plan and I'm going to try to load myself for success so that and use the most effective tool for the worst case scenario, which in my opinion is is the rifle. Sure, but could there certain tools that are
0: counterproductive if you live next door to somebody in a close quarters apartment or something of that nature? Well,
1: absolutely. But then again, you have to figure out, again, do a little bit of due diligence, right? If you live in a row home in Philadelphia, you may not want a 454 Casul, right? <laughs> um, but you can absolutely use an AR-15 with, with defensive ammunition there are there is defensive ammunition for ar-15 sure. so all of these things are are uh play a part in the in the in choosing the right tool but again it's just a matter of uh of perspective that's all i was saying don't forget about it one last thing i want to ask you about warning shots jose do warning you ever teach the warning shot i absolutely positively never teach a warning shot i never teach a warning shot again what goes up has to come down Um, And it's one of these things where I was taught... Um, you know, by Masada Ayub, you can't argue that you were in immediate and unavoidable danger of death, crippling, injury, sexual assault, or kidnapping if you have the luxury to warn. It's not a tool of warning. It's a tool of last resort, Mm. you know, and so uh, it's one of these things where, again, you're using deadly force, you know, just pointing the gun in their direction and pulling the trigger is using deadly force, right? Sure. Um, uh, Why would I go ahead and do that? I have to prove, you know, certain uh, requisites were there and I had a legal justification, right? what you're going to talk about during our next uh, segment. So yeah, warning shots are never a good idea. They're counterproductive, you know, but have a plan in place prior to having to use that gun, which is what a lot of people don't do
0: hear this one all the time so i'm glad we got that cleared up for now uh during our next segment we're going to talk a little bit about the legal considerations and some of the legal myths that are out there should be an interesting conversation i can't wait to ask you those questions so it'll be fun hang in there locked loaded and legal see you soon
1: hi jose morales here mike and i want to take a minute to thank each and every one of you for taking the time to listen to us If you find the broadcast interesting or informative, please tell others about us and consider showing your support either by becoming a patron on Patreon or through a donation on PayPal via the links at LockedLoadedAndLegal.com. Thanks again and stay safe. and we're back with our next segment of Lock loaded and legal. I'm your host Jose Morales, firearms instructor, and with our host Mike Giramita, attorney extraordinaire. Before we <laughs> left for the uh, for the break, we were talking a little bit about demystifying firearms myths and legal legends, most specifically warning shots, right? Right. So from the legal aspect, right? Well, are are warning shots a good idea, Mike? Never. They're never a
0: good idea. Uh, Bottom line is, when deadly force is justified, deadly force is justified, and there's no need to put other people at risk uh, when you're in that sort of a situation. There was a case that was pretty famous in the Philadelphia area a couple years back, and it blew my mind when the district attorney came out and said that the gentleman who ultimately had to use deadly force against the perpetrator should have fired a warning shot mm. and they came out and said "Oh, he didn't even fire a warning shot. Well warning shots are a terrible <laughs> idea, you're putting other people in danger, you're not justified in doing so, right? You, you've got a justification as to the, the threat as to the threat under those circumstances. So we see people often charged with crimes such as reckless endangerment of another person, uh, disorderly conduct, and a host of other charges when they fire warning shots unnecessarily. So you would, you know, there is no legal excuse for a warning shot, right? Precisely, I mean, that's exactly it. The bottom line is that if you're in a situation where you're justified in using deadly force as to a threat, Uh, That does not extend
1: to firing shots in the air and putting other people at risk. (laughs) Exactly. Well, this is in the Wild, Wild West. Well, during New Year's, actually, in in Philadelphia, we're very famous for actually firing shots up in the air. It's just very bizarre. I don't know if they still do that, but... uh. Yeah. So good. Those are really, really good points. Well, what about traveling? You hear, and I hear this all the time from students, you know, when I'm traveling with my gun, what I need to do either in Philadelphia, outside of Philadelphia, with between different states, whatever, the urban legend is, if I separate my gun from my magazines or my bullets from my cartridges and put the bullets in the glove compartment with the gun in the trunk or some combination thereof, is that a good idea? How should we travel with our finance?
0: Well, this all stems from, I think, the federal protection under 18 U.S.C. 926A, and we've briefly briefly referenced that in previous episodes and it's a safe passage provision. Essentially what the law says is that if you're at point A where you're legal to own and possess your firearms and you're going to point B where it's legal for you to possess your firearms you can travel through some of these strict states so long as your firearms are unloaded in the trunk separate from your ammunition. Now if you've got a specific circumstance where you're doing so we want you to seek competent counsel in your jurisdiction just because there's a lot that goes into this and we don't necessarily have that much time right now. Uh, But this law is based around inaccessibility. So you can travel through these states, not to these states, but through these states so long as you store your firearms in a very specific manner. Uh, I don't know where uh, the myth comes that as long as you've got your firearms separated in that manner that you're good to go and I hear a lot of people with very very bad information saying that they believe they can go to New Jersey or to New York so long as the firearms unloaded and separated and that couldn't be further from the truth as a matter of fact if you're in New Jersey with a handgun In that manner and you don't fall under one of their specific exemptions, you're looking at three and a half years mandatory minimum in state prison with no opportunity for parole and no discretion by the judge. So don't just guess and don't just do what you heard on the street when it comes to this stuff. Now because the whole law is focused around inaccessibility, you've got to keep in mind that uh, keeping these things within reach is not a good idea. The law talks about if you don't have a trunk what to do under those circumstances and it specifically says that you have to use a locked container, but it also specifically notes that the glove compartment and the center console do not constitute a locked container for these purposes. So, uh, typically what we recommend is if you have no trunk, two separate lock cases, right, one for your unloaded firearm, the other for your ammunition, and they go as far back from the driver and passengers as humanly possible. If you do have a trunk, it must be in the trunk, And we still always recommend that people have two separate lock cases, even if it's in the trunk. Bottom line is, I never have people call me up and say, Mike, you know, I was traveling under this federal protection of 926A, and I'll tell you what, during my travels, I had far too much protection. Uh, I was too safe. (laughs) I was too (laughs) safe. I get those calls when people try to dance on that line and get away with stuff and they end up in jail or they end up detained. So. Uh, just understand that law is based around inaccessibility. And if you're thinking in your head, how can I store my firearm in a way that I can get to it if I need it in one of these states? Then you, you know,
1: you're just contrary to the letter and the spirit of the law. Well, one of the things that people don't realize is a little common sense goes a long way, right? A little common sense goes a long way. Take yourself out of the equation and look at the scenario like a police officer would, right? If you know if someone comes up on me. And, uh, you know, so a police officer comes up on me and um, I open my glove compartment and there are a bunch of bullets and cartridges, cartridges fall out. Right. I say bullets because that's the, the mm-hmm. common term or a bunch of magazines fall out of my gun is in there. I'm going to have a bad day because the police officer doesn't know me from a box of hammer handles. So when in doubt, I tell my students separate, unload, make as inaccessible as possible, not readily accessible. So underneath the seat may not be a good idea um, if you have a trunk or if you have a pickup truck, the opposite cab corner would make sense right so those are really good when we're traveling we just want to be safe and show the police officers that we're card carrying good guys so another uh, urban legend i hear all the time mike is i was in fear for my life and because i was afraid i went ahead and used my gun fear for my life, does that constitute the ability to use deadly force if I'm afraid? Oh, unfortunately I hear this one all the time
0: and I think that this is another one of those situations where a little bit of common sense will go a long way. I get people who come over to me and they say, Mike, I don't need to know any of the laws of the justified use of deadly force. I don't need to hear what you have to say because all I got to do is say I was in fear of my life. Well, think about it, that's ridiculous. That means that, that any maniac who's in fear of his life because you looked at him the wrong way, would be
1: justified in killing you. Well, or, I was in fear for my life three times driving down here today to the <laughs> shop. I, couldn't pull, I wanted to pull my gun, but I couldn't pull my gun out, right?
0: <laughs> well, here's how we distinguish this. In Pennsylvania, what the law specifically says is when deadly force is justified, you must have a reasonable belief that deadly force is necessary to prevent death, serious bodily injury, kidnapping, or intercourse by force or threat. We always just call that last one rape for the purposes of discussion. And when the law talks about having that reasonable belief that deadly force is necessary, it must be immediately necessary. Now, why this is relevant to the discussion is notice they use the term reasonable belief. It's not just a belief, it's a reasonable belief. So what the jury will do is they'll take a look at whether an imaginary reasonable person under those same or similar circumstances would have that belief. Think about it. They're looking at whether a reasonable person would have that belief in that situation. doesn't matter what the person actually believed. It doesn't matter whether a maniac would have that belief in that situation. Uh, You know, we'd be in a whole lot of trouble if that's the standard that was used. So the bottom line is the whole I was in fear of my life thing not only isn't true, but in Pennsylvania's context, uh, it's not only fear of your life that justifies the use of deadly force. So you may be putting yourself in a corner that
1: you can't get out of later on. Really, really good points. Again, fear fear is subjective, right? Everybody has different fears. Sure. You know. Got to have a reasonable belief. A reasonable belief. Well, awesome. That makes total sense. And one final thing, can you talk a little bit about the castle doctrine versus danger ground? I hear this all the time, person comes into my house, I'm gonna shoot him, or if I take the gun out, I'm gonna use it. I'm like, no, the last thing you wanna do is actually use it if you unless you have to, because mm. I love you, Mike, but I don't wanna pay for your medical, for your, so for your law school uh, <laughs> loans, you know? Uh-huh. Um, I, You know, that's why I kinda wanna know what, it, what, it, what are the differences between the two? So these are uh, two legal
0: doctrines that I think are often overblown. Let's talk a little bit about the castle doctrine. So many people come over to me and say, Mike, I know the castle doctrine. And what it says is, if someone's in my house, I can kill them. <laughs> it is far more complicated than that. At the most basic level, you know, I usually take at least a half hour to talk about this. But, uh, you know, the thousand foot view is sort of under the Castle Doctrine in Pennsylvania at least, gets rid of the duty to retreat in the home. So while generally you'd have a duty to retreat if you could do it with complete safety, under the Castle Doctrine there's no duty to retreat in your home, even if you can do it with complete safety. Some other states would have you crawl out your back window if you had the opportunity. Uh, Jersey. <laughs> it's almost well, New Jersey. We won't get into New Jersey. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's not quite as bad when it comes to self-defense as you would think. But... Uh, particularly here in Pennsylvania under the Castle Doctrine, no duty to retreat in the home. Another thing the Castle Doctrine does is if you're under certain circumstances, in certain situations, the law will give you what's known as a presumption. And essentially, if you're in one of these three situations, the law will presume that you had a reasonable belief that deadly force was necessary to prevent death, serious bodily injury, kidnapping, or rape. So, they're going to start off in your corner with that presumption that you had that reasonable belief. And we know that that's the, the standard for the justified use of deadly force. Um, you know, some of these contexts where you get this presumption is when somebody's in the process of unlawfully and forcefully entering your dwelling, residence, or occupied vehicle. If somebody already has unlawfully and forcefully entered your dwelling, residence, or occupied vehicle, if someone's unlawfully and forcefully removing you from your dwelling, residence, or occupied vehicle, and that's just really the surface overview as to what the castle doctrine does. Now, keep in mind, just because you're in one of these situations and you get a presumption, that doesn't mean the case is closed and it's set in stone and everybody can go home, because evidence can overcome the presumption they'll start off in your corner, they'll start with the premise that you did have that reasonable belief. However, if there's an overwhelming amount of evidence that shows you didn't have that reasonable belief, the presumption will be overcome by that evidence, whether that's physical evidence or it's whether it's somebody saying the wrong thing and hanging themselves, legally speaking.
1: Now, finally, stand your well, ground. That's a really, really good point. I just want to circle back around because sometimes you'll hear the urban legend of, you know, what uh, if they're an unarmed, place a gun in their, hand. you hear, if oh, they're, if they're if they're you know halfway between your threshold and the outside, drag them in. And I'm, I'm like, wait a second. You know, if you start tampering with evidence and it's proven that you've tampered with the evidence, uh, that's going to be bad, right? It's, t- it's terrible. It's terrible. Because uh, the bottom
0: line is, when they find out you were messing with that. C- your credibility is instantly shot so even if you were 100% justified they can't believe a word that comes out of your mouth Mm -hmm. right which includes your account of that story so, you're putting yourself in a terrible position. They are going to know. They've got the technology to determine these sorts of things. And it's been around for a while, that it's technology. It's been around. Right? <laughs> Luminol has been around since the <laughs> 1930s, from what a, a gentleman told me who's an expert in this sort of thing. So, they will absolutely know. Don't do that. Just leave it be.
1: Huh. Okay.
0: I want to touch on st- uh, Stand Your Ground just because we hear about it in the news so often. I just want to make clear that Stand Your Ground does not give us any. Additional circumstances to use deadly force, particularly here in Pennsylvania, all it does is if three requirements are met, it'll get rid of the duty to retreat, which only ever applies if we can do it with complete safety. Complete safety, yeah. Right. So if these three uh, criteria are met, then you'll have no duty to retreat, even if you can do it with complete safety. So uh, just some of the brief descriptions of these criteria. You've got to be attacked in a place where you're legally entitled to be. You can't be in unlawful possession of a firearm. You can't be engaged in criminal activity. You've got to have a reasonable belief that deadly force was necessary to prevent death, serious bodily injury, kidnapping, or rape. So Mm -hmm. you must be justified in using deadly force. And finally, the one that drives people nuts, the attacker's got to have what is or appears to be a deadly weapon. So if... Those criteria are met, then the person would be entitled to stand your ground and there would be no duty to retreat, even if you could do it with complete safety.
1: And we're back with Lock Loaded and Legal. So, Mike, uh, you know, first let's start off by letting everybody know that this uh, broadcast does not constitute legal advice. This is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to learning about firearm safety, safe gun handling, and the law.
0: Yeah, today's episode was meant to be just a taste for everybody. Maybe you did learn something that perhaps you didn't know, but that's not the full extent of it. Get out there and get yourself education consult with an attorney, and even on your side, Jose, when it comes to, you know, using firearms for, t- for protection and understanding these different tactics, uh, what you told them today, it doesn't make them an expert in firearms. Um, maybe it brought some things to light that perhaps you didn't know, and that's great, and hopefully it piqued your interest and gave you a little bit of incentive to get out there and take a course to that's read a book that's the key yeah
1: right? peak your interest so that you can start thinking critically so you can start analyzing your beliefs and you know and not listen to our to the gun gurus to so the legal gurus that don't have that those credentials in our lives, because again you know not everybody who owns a gun is a, is an expert in firearms not everybody who i guess owns a book on the laws or works in the legal field is a qualified attorney so you know we want you to we want this to start sparking a conversation and a dialogue and your desire to learn and in week
0: one we talked about a call to action we encourage you to get out there and take steps to better yourself as a gun owner to make yourself a more responsible gun owner we still want to hear about your progress so head on to lock loaded and where you can find our contact information and all of our social media platforms Send us pictures of what you've been doing. Give us an update. We'd love to hear about it if you've got any other suggestions for topics, things that you want to hear about. Because, after all, this is the reason that we're doing this, right, Jose?
1: We're doing it for the listeners. We're doing this for the listeners. We're doing this out of love for educating others. And uh, one of the final things that I hear every every once in a while is, wow, well, this is really complicated, man. I mean, they have got to know all these laws. And, wow, is it even worth it? Yeah, if you want the option to protect yourself, it absolutely positively is worth it. But with great power comes great responsibility. So we need to know as much about firearms law and use of deadly force law and proper handling as we do about the laws for managing and moving our cars back and forth legally. So, again, we're glad that everyone listened and tuned in today. We hope everyone found this. A segment useful, and we look forward to seeing you next week with Locked, Loaded, and Legal. No shortcuts. You don't have to do it the hard way. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to another episode of Locked, Loaded, and Legal promoting firearm safety, training, and education so you don't have to learn the hard way. Brought to you by Philly Firearms Radio. For more information and to show your support, visit us at LockedLoadedAndLegal.com.